I'll never forget one wedding I did. You got to love the way people think for weddings. They go, we want our wedding to be epic, right? So we're going to do it on top of a mountain. And so it kind of sounded legit. I was like, dude, this is going to be tight, right? And so I get up there and I'm all dressed up. And you realize, like, the cars can only go so high up on a mountain. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) I thought you could just drive to the top of a mountain. No, what do you have to do to get there? You got to walk. So all the ladies are in their dresses and their heels. I'm wearing dress shoes. And they're all like, oh. And so we have to hike like half a mile up the mountain, right? <laughs> to where somebody had already set up this thing. So I get up there. I'm like, man, I, I feel good. But all the ladies are like, he, like, they're just like breathing heavy. They have dirt all over the bottom of their dresses. And I was like, they didn't think that went out too well, right? And so then we start to get in position. And, you know, the bride's getting ready to come. And all of a sudden, the craziest wind that you've ever heard in your life begins. <laughs> right? And so I'm sitting up there with like my binder trying to hold the papers and it's like flapping. And so I'm like trying to read the pages. Like they start turning my pages. I'm like, thanks God, right? My pages, I'm just making up the half the wedding. Uh, nobody knew that because they couldn't read my notes. But all that to say, I have a very unique perspective as I do the wedding, right? Today we're going to see a wedding. We're going to see a wedding from a very unique perspective. We're going to get to see the very first wedding from the person who created weddings to begin with. And so we're going to see the first wedding. And as we do this, friends, listen, as we look at God's first wedding, as we look at him walk the first bride down the aisle to the first groom, we're going to see God's design for marriage. And so I hope all of you guys brought your gifts. You can leave your gifts in the back, all right? Um, You guys don't look like you're dressed for a wedding, but that's okay. We're going to do it anyway. Are you guys ready? Casual wedding? How many people want a casual wedding? Yeah, I want to do your wedding, all right? Everybody, like, making me pay money, wearing tuxedos and stuff. And I'm like, is this really that big of a deal? Yes, it is. It is. I'm kidding. So check it out. We're going to go, and we're looking at the first wedding. So open up your Bibles. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Starting in verse 15, are you ready for the first wedding? If you got it, say, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Here we go. Very first wedding. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read the first couple verses. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Oh my guys, say work it. The guys, the males. Say work it. Keep it. Put him in the First few verses, we before the first wedding. So now, ladies, ladies, can I can I ask your permission? Second, all right, because you guys came expecting to learn about the first wedding with the first job, and so we see Adam. God realized is that. I mean, getting into, growing up into a man, becoming in a position to even lead ourselves, let alone a family, right? So he had a job before he had a wife, and we see the Bible says that he was there to work it. Boy, say work it, keep it. This is what he was doing. He's in the garden, and he was working. He was sweating. He was toiling. He was productive, guys. And so he had a job in which he was doing things, and he's work. This is not like what he looked like, probably. This is just like ad lib, right? But he was working, and he was sweating. He was applying himself. He's applying his mind. He's applying his muscles, men. Men, where are the muscles at? No, yeah, you're like, uh, never mind, right? So he's working, and this is what he's doing. He's creating everything around him to be better. 
Men, are you hearing me? Boys, don't check out now. You're like, oh, man, why are you talking about work, man? My dad always talks about work. I don't want to work. Listen, the Bible's talking about it, so let's talk about it, okay? Man was working it. He was making things around him better, and he was maintaining that better. He was keeping it, okay? He was working and applying himself. And right away, boys, hear me, please, all the guys in this room. This is a beautiful picture of what life is supposed to look like as a man. Okay, a lot of times we have this idea that like, man, I just got to like make enough money and I don't really care about work. I'm just going to make money so that I can go and just like have fun. But we realize from the very beginning that part of a man's life, part of his sense of purpose is work. Work is not just something we do because we have to do it. God created us to work. And so part of the way that we work or, or the way that we worship God, part of the way that we live, man, part of the way that we do things is work. As image bearers of God, there's a sense of purpose in our work. And so part of the way that we worship God as men, we work, we make things around us better, we apply ourselves, we work. And so boys, I know maybe you're not men yet, but you're, you're verging on manhood, right? You're going to become young men here pretty soon. And so if part of being a man is working, here's my advice to you young men. Start working now. Sam, you don't understand the child's labor laws. I just can't get a job. I'm not talking about that kind of work. There's other ways that you can work, right? You can practice working around the house. For, for all of you that are students, school is your work. And so work. But Sam, I'm never going to use math. Yeah, but you want to be a husband one day, right? So can you practice applying yourself? Can you practice working hard when your parents ask? Well, we'll get there to parents, right? But work. Work now. So number one, we see that Adam had a job. Adam was working, he had a responsibility, but look at the second thing. He was under authority. Guys, say work it, keep it, follow it. He was under authority. Look what the Bible says. It says that God commanded, you guys listening here? Listen, God commanded the men, right? So we see right off the bat, God comes up and he establishes Adam, he puts him in the garden, and he gives him a command, Meaning, he's establishing rules. He's establishing consequences. He's establishing guidelines. If someone is commanding something, is it pretty clear who's in charge? Who's in charge here, God or Adam? Who? I want to hear from the men. Men. It's God, right? And so there's a clear order here right off the bat. Who's leading who? Listen, boys, I'm going to tell you this because I love you, okay? Mucho, check it out. Boys, in our culture, there's this idea that like, yo, I'm a man, right? I'm a man. I'm in charge. I don't take orders. I'm the man. 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 You can tell everybody that I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm the man. Right? We literally make songs talking about, I'm the man, right? And there's this idea in culture that to be the man means I'm over everything. Nobody can tell me I've arrived. But we see in the Bible that the picture of a man is that he's under authority. Wait, what? Wait, that couldn't be right. God commanded him. If he's a man, what does this mean? No, we see that from the very beginning, the first man, a perfect man, in God's good design, he was under the authority of a good and loving God. Students, check it out. Authority is not a bad word, right? Authority is not a curse word. Authority is a part of God's design for life, and we need to realize this, and especially the men. Freedom isn't found in independence. Freedom is found in obedience, okay? 
We're free to be men as we submit to authority and we follow it. And this is huge. And ladies, you're going to love this. Trust me. But guys, this is huge. The reason why God places Adam under authority is because he's about to place him in authority in his family. Right? Listen, guys, and we're going to get to this in the next couple weeks. The man is placed as an authority. Granted, not the same as God, right? But in a leader's sense, he's placed as an authority. But before he can be an authority, he needs to be under authority. Right? You guys hear what I'm saying? God, like, for centuries, for our entire existence as human beings, there have always been men that have abused and misunderstood what it means to be an authority in their family. Some of you guys, I mean, unfortunately, some of you guys experience that in your own homes. There's men everywhere that don't understand how to be a loving authority, how to be a leader. And you know why, friends? It's because every time that men fail to be able to follow, they will always fail to lead, right? And so students, young men, if you want to be a good leader in your home one day, if you want to be a parent, if you want to be a good husband and a good father and all these things, you need to learn to follow because you cannot be a good leader if you are not following. You can't be an authority unless you're under authority. And so boys, do you want to be good leaders? How many of you guys say, I want to be a good father one day? Boys, good. I want to be a good husband one day, right? I want to be a good leader in my community one day. Then you need to learn how to follow. You need to submit to authority, friends. And so you need, if you want to be an authority, you've got to be under God's authority, which means submitting to the authority figures that he's put in your life right now. Who are some of the authorities in your life? Call them out. Who do we have as authorities, guys? Sam, Sam sure. A youth pastor, yeah. Teachers, your parents, huh? Bosses at work, right? All of those authority figures, check this out. Even if you hate them, even if they're not good leaders, even if they're good authorities, you can say, you know what? I'm going to practice submitting to authority because I recognize that God ultimately is my authority and so I want to practice submitting to him so I'm going to submit to the people that he's put over me. But Sam, you just don't understand my boss, man. He's just, oh my gosh, this guy. Practice. You want to be a good leader one day? Practice. How many of you have an authority figure that you struggle with? Okay, let me see it. Honestly, raise that hand. You're like, I'm not putting my hand up. You struggle with authority, right? Like, I'm not listening to you. Exactly. If you struggle with authority, here's the, here's the point, guys. You have an opportunity to practice. Practice being under authority, okay? All right, so, all right, I'm sorry. Guys, are we cool, guys? Any love lost? That's a bummer. Sorry. The answer is no. All right. So you came to the first wedding wanting to understand the design for marriage. Teach me how to be married. But the very first thing we encounter here is teach me how to be a man. Okay. And so next week, we're actually going to talk to the men. Next week, we're going to learn what it looks like to be a husband. The following week, ladies, where you at? Hey, ladies. In two weeks, we're going to talk about what it looks like to be a godly wife. So next week, no ladies come to citizens. Okay. You're like, oh, yes, I am. I want to come and hear what you're telling him. Yeah, you do want to be here. You want to hear what it's like to be, what, what, what it's, what, you want to hear what I'm saying to the men? Even if it's like not directly connected to you, it is. Because you should have a standard. Right, ladies? Guys, you should be here in two weeks. You should hear what it looks like to be a godly wife because you should have a standard. All right? So everybody, everybody, be here, okay? So, all right, here we are. First wedding, how to become a man, but... I want to get married. Let's get to the wedding. You guys ready? You want to get married? No! Too young. But we'll see Adam get married. Here we go. Verse 18. Then 
<laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. You forgive me? Thanks, dude. All right, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, now, let's pause. He says now, as in like, change the camera. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man. Everybody say, brought them to the man. Stick it to the mandiosis. Brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, living creature, <laughs> I speak for a living, I promise. Every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Here we go, friends. God, we see here, from the, we see here in this first wedding, in a world of good, we find a not good. Everybody say not good. In a world full of good, we find a not good, okay? So up to this point in the Bible, God, he's like the creator of the universe, right? Kind of big deal. And so he creates something, and then he stands back and he goes, that's good, right? Like, you ever, like, do something, you're like, man, I feel good about that? That's like God, right? On 10, right? Like creation. He's like, earth, solid, right? And then he goes, like, animals, that's good, right? And then he goes like, birds of the air. And he's like, that's good. He probably didn't see the spiders because he probably wouldn't have said good. Not mean, right? But we, we trust God, right? His sovereignty. Why? Why? When I go to heaven. So he sees it and he's like, that's good, right? And then he like creates the sky and the lights and he's like, that is good. And then he creates mankind and he goes, that's really good, right? Everything is good. And for the first time in our Bibles, we see God say, that's not good, right? As my son would say, nuh-uh, right? In a world full of good, we now see a not good. What's going on here? Well, here's mankind, right? Mankind, he's here in the garden. That's why there's flowers. It's a garden. What? It's by accident, kind of, right? So he's in the garden, and God's looking on this situation, right? And he goes, all right, man, he's, what does he do? What are the two things he does? Work it, keep it, right? So he's doing his thing and he's working, he's under authority, he has responsibility, but God looks at him and he goes, but he's alone. He's alone. That's not good. And so to illustrate the point that it's not good, there's this hilarious scene in the Bible. And if you guys don't think it's hilarious, you're not reading it carefully enough, right? So it's like tagline, this is not good. Now, let me tell you a story. God brought, say brought to the man. God brought to the man animals, all right? And so, remember how I told you Adam had a job, right? He's working it and keeping it. Part of his job, he got to name the animals, right? How many of you would kill to name an animal, right? Yo, like sometimes I'm just like, I'm gonna rename an animal just because I want to, you know? Like there's some cats that it's like, cat is just so lame, you know what I mean? It's like, this doesn't like do it. It's not sufficient. I'm like, you are like Godzilla cats, you know what I mean? It's like, they're just like so full of energy and cat is like meek. Nobody has a devil cat that goes in their backyard, right? It's, that's what it is, right? So anyway, so guys, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so he's sitting here, right? And God is like, hey, Adam. Yeah, God, I got a job for you. Sit down. I'm going to bring animals to you. He, say, everybody say, brought to the man. Aha. Uh -huh. He was going to bring animals, and I want you to name them, right? 
remember, this is not good, that he's lonely. And so he's sitting here, and it's like, dogs walk by. And, uh, and he looks, and he's like, dog, right? And, like, all the dogs, like, woof, 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 and they're all barking together, and, like, little pack of dogs go. And the next one comes, like, and it's like, oh, cat. And so they go, it's in Hebrew, so that's why you're, like, probably confused about the names. And so he, like, names the cats, and they all go off in their thing. And he's just doing this, right? And it's like, like, I don't know what sound the fox makes, right? But the foxes come, and he names them. And it's just like all these animals are just coming by, and he's naming them. And it's probably exhausting work, you know? By this time, his, his sleeves are rolled up, his shirt's unbuttoned, and he's like, man, so many animals. God, why didn't we just have, like, five, you know? Just, like, dog, cat. Just two. <laughs> Why do we need all these animals? So he has all these animals and he's naming them. And Adam, he starts to realize, man, they all have each other, right? Like, look at that whole litter of cats and look at the whole clouder of dogs and look at the whole herd of sheep. Right? And all the sheep are grazing together and they keep each other warm in their wool. And it's just like they all have each other. And Adam, he's looking at this and he goes, it says, none of them were suitable for Adam. And so to illustrate the point that it's not good that Adam's alone, it's like, it's like hilarious. Whereas like, even the animals have somebody. Even the animals have community. Even the animals have people that they, or it's that they can connect with and prance and jump and clowder and whatever other things animals do. Sounds like, like the night before Christmas on the roof, right? Clatter and scatter and Ditson and Blitzen, right? And so they're doing all these things. And he looks and he says, none of them are helpers for me. Adam, he goes, everything has community. What about me? None of them can help me. Meaning, none of them can do life with me and fulfill my need for a companion. None of these animals can come alongside of me and join in my efforts and have a sense of purpose with me as I work. None of these animals can be in community with me. And Adam is sitting here and God is observing and God's conclusion is, this is not good. In a world of good, we find a not good. That's not good. But I thought dog was man's best friend. He's not a helper, all right? Yellow, Yeller, is that the dog name? He died, right? Didn't he die? Spoiler alert. I've never seen the movie, right? Sea Biscuit, he died. Let's just spoil all these like horse movies or animal movies, right? Titanic, it died, right? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Spoiler alerts everywhere. And so we see that this is not good, but God's gonna do something about it, all right? And so right, like, man, oh, I love the Bible. Thank you, God, for the Bible. Check it out. We see as God sees a not good, you already start to see God's fatherly heart and you already start to see his affection for his son and he goes, I'm gonna do something about this. I'm gonna fix this not good. That's who God is. That's who God is. God fixes not good. He's a redeemer. We just spent like six weeks talking about it in Ruth. God is a fixer of not good, Right? And so he comes and he's going to fix this, but here's what we're going to find. And here's what you're going to love, all right? The design of whatever he invents to fix this, fix this, whatever he's going to do here to fix this situation, the design is going to be directly related to the purpose. Because the purpose of something determines the design of something. The purpose of something determines the design of something. You know what I'm talking about? 
For example, the purpose of a car, right? Let's say, man, I need something to get me somewhere far and fast. We'll call it a car, right? Adam named that one way back in the day. Car. We're just way ahead of his time. There were no cars. And so he, like, or he doesn't name it a car. You have a car, right? The purpose of a car to get me far and fast. If that's the purpose, the design is going to help that. Which means I'm going to put wheels on it and I'm going to put a fuel tank on it. I'm going to put a little windshield so that when I'm going fast, the bugs don't get in my mouth, right? Adam named it bug. Oh, right? If that's your purpose, it's going to affect your design. What happens if you mess with the design? Hey, you know what? I think we should take the wheels off and, uh, and uh, we don't need a fuel tank, right? You literally defeat the purpose. Let's say another one, right? Let's say, let's say man, I want, here, here's my purpose. I want to be able to communicate across long distances with a device that I can fit in my pocket. That's the purpose. So therefore, the design, it's going to be small and it's going to have to be able to operate off of radio frequencies, right? You're like, that's how cell phones work. I thought they were magic boxes. They are. I'm just kidding. But let's just pretend that they have radio frequencies, right? What happens if you mess with the design? What happens if you say, hey, you know what? We're going to make this thing seven feet long. And we'll call it a phablet, right? You guys don't know about phablets? Like, they're like phones pretending to be, oh my gosh, that's enormous, right? That literally defeats the purpose, right? If you can't fit it in your pocket, it defeats the purpose. If you mess with the design, you defeat the purpose. And so here's my point, friends. As we're about to, fin- as we're about to finish this passage, we're going to see that God's invention, what he does to fix the not good situation His design is directly designed to help fulfill the purpose, helping a lonely man get into a God-glorifying community. That's the purpose. And so the design is going to be appropriate for that. Does that make sense? The design determines the purpose. And so let's see what God does here, right? Whatever solution he comes up with, we know it's going to fit the purpose. So let's look at verses 21. And hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Friends, here's the solution to the not good. God designs a one man, one woman, forever relationship. God, his invention. He designs a one man... And he's like, sleep, right? <laughs> he's gone, right? I don't believe that God used the whooshy finger hole to put him to sleep. But he put him to sleep with his divine power. And now Adam is sleeping. And as he does, <laughs> he takes a rib out. Now, when you have children, and most of you, maybe you're on the other side of this. As children, did you ever like, did your parents ever wake up to find you doing something to them? Right? Like, no joke. up and she's like standing over me and she's like, I'm sorry where he put and while he's sleeping God takes the dude's rib out 
out. You? Yeah, I'm still missing it, right? I'm missing it. Matthew Henry, ladies, I know you'll love this. Dudes, love it, right? Look what Matthew Henry says about the rib, right? You're like, what is that about? God took his rib out? Like, you couldn't take, like, a toenail and rip and replicate it, right? Like, what? Because, I don't know, it was just, all right, never mind. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not God, okay? Take a toenail. All right, look what Matthew Henry says. He goes, women were created from the rib of man to be beside him not from his head to top him, nor from his feet to be trampled by him, but from under his arm to be protected by him, near to his heart to be loved by him. That's powerful, right? It's wrong. That's not why. Here's why. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Matthew Henry was weak. No. I mean, like, I don't know why. It's, I'll, I'll go for it. That sounds good, right? But he took him out of his rib took him out of his rib, and then look what the text says. Look at the language. It says, he brought her to the man. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar, that he brought her? Where have we just heard that language, that he brought to the man? The animals. The animals. He literally, like, guys, for like six verses, we literally just read, and he brought the animals to Adam, and he brought the, Adam, the animals to Adam, and Adam named the animals that God brought to him. And now in the text, it says, oh, and God brought her to him, right? You can just imagine God, right? Like, I can just picture God with like this twinkle in his eye where Adam is like exhausted, right? God, stop bringing me these things, right? And, just, and he's exhausted, and he's sitting there just tired, like, all right, last one. I don't even know what to call you. We'll just call you platypus. I don't know. Just get out of here, right? Just, I'm done with you, right? I gave up all the good names earlier. And so he's there getting ready to go home from work. And you just see God, right? Like, just imagine God, the father who loves to bless his children with a twinkle in his eye. He goes, hey, Adam, don't pack up shop just yet. Hey, oh, hey Adam, real quick. I got uh, one more of my creatures I want to bring to you. I know I've been bringing you a ton of animals and a bunch of my creatures. I got, I got one more thing that I want to bring to you, all right? And so Adam is sitting here, and he's under authority, right? So he's like, yes, God, all right, uh, all right, I'll do it, all right. Toy boat, toy boat, red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. <sighs> all right, right? <laughs> God, God is walking to him, right? And he, and he has, he's like, yeah, I got, I'm going to bring you one more, right? And from, like, behind him, he, like, he presents a woman. And here, friends, we see the first wedding, because God is walking her down the aisle, and he's bringing to the groom a wife. And he comes, and here comes the bride, times 10, the first, God, right, is bringing the bride. And he comes, and like, you can just imagine Adam's face, right? After seeing all the cats, he's probably like stepped in poop, you know what I mean? He's like fur or hair, dander, feathers, right? chicken poo all over, right? And he's just like, all right, let's do this. And he sees it. Can you imagine his face? He's like, whoa, man. And God's like, actually, it's pronounced woman, but you know, I'll take it, right? And so he's like, oh my God. And he's just like freaking out. And he's looking, he's like, I don't even know what to do right now. And he just, and he does what any logical man would do when he's overwhelmed. He starts singing. <laughs> and he's just like, and he's probably Jewish because he's in the Old Testament. So he starts dancing on the chair, right? And he's like, at last, bone of my bone and ah, flesh of my flesh. And he's just going nuts, right? And he goes, she will be called woman 
She's just like me. I've been looking at all the cats have family and the dogs have family and there was nobody like me, but I see her and she's made of the same stuff I am. She's just like me, except there's a key distinction. She's a woman. I will be man, she will be woman. Or in Hebrew, you can hear the similarities. She will be the Isha to my Ish. Ish and Isha. I know it's Hebrew, right? Not itch, Isha, right? I, and, that, and that's why he names her that. That's why the names are so closely related because she's bone of my bone. She's made of the same stuff. Finally, a helper. Finally, someone, a companion, a helper. And so God walks his first daughter down the aisle to his first son and they get married. Oh. And Adam's reaction, he's over the top. He breaks out into song. And he's just, man, if you, guys, you want style points, write a song on your wedding, right? You want major style points, don't write a song on your wedding. Use the one here in Genesis chapter two, right? Like, can you like imagine, like I'm doing your wedding and you're like, hey Sam, uh, I know I'm supposed to be doing my own vows, but I thought I'd take it to the next level and uh, write a little, a little ditty, right? <laughs> Hit it, band, right? She's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I have no other words cause she's the best. Right? That was actually the song. That was actually the song I did on my wedding. Thank you. I know. <laughs> I did not do that. I didn't do that. But I mean, he sings the song, right? And here's the key. Here's why we get to observe the first wedding, guys. Here's why we get to be witnesses to the first ever wedding. Because as we look at this wedding, it becomes very clear how God designed his invention. And so here's three things that we see about God's design. Three things that we see, huh, that design perfectly fits the purpose that it needed to accomplish. And therefore we won't want to mess with the design. But look at the design, right? Three things, jot these down. Number one, marriage is between a man and a woman. Notice, right? He looked at the purpose. He goes, I need man to have a companion that he could be in lifelong relationship with in God-glorifying community. And so when God was coming up with a solution, when God was designing an invention, he didn't invent a squirrel for Adam. He didn't invent another animal. He didn't invent a creature from the ground or bird from the air. He said, I'm going to make something exactly like him, but with a key distinction, gender. And so he creates another human being who's of the same value and of the same worth and who shares the image of God, but there's a key distinction. Her gender will be complementary, meaning male and female will fit perfectly for each other so that the result, the combination of them will be perfect. So he creates a key difference. He creates gender that is different, but that it fits together to become complete. This aspect, this is the very first one, but this aspect of the design, friends, it's under attack. You know what I'm talking about, right? We're literally trying to redesign, or as people say, redefine, but I prefer redesign. We're trying to redesign what marriage is. And friends, marriage is not between a man and a man. Marriage is not between a woman and a woman. Marriage, the perfect design to fulfill the purpose of God, is between one man and one woman. 
And now listen, I want to be sensitive here, okay? Because there's, there's people, I, I know, friends, I know, I, we know each other. We're honest here, okay? And so for those of you in this room, or for those of you who have friends that struggle with things like same-sex attraction or gender uh, uh, confusion. I mean, I have siblings, right, who, who just, that's where they are, okay? And here's my purpose, right? Here, here's my, my, my message, friends. You're welcome here, all right? Tell your friends about us. They're welcome here, okay? Because I don't believe that someone who has same-sex attraction or someone who struggles with gender identity, I don't believe that they're in sin. I don't believe that just because you're oriented a certain way or you have certain feelings or certain tendencies, God doesn't love you any less. That's not a sin. To have temptation is not a sin. It's only when we start engaging in something that is against the design. And so, friends, this is a community where all of us can come and we could be open and we could be honest and we don't have to feel ashamed of our temptations or ashamed of our sin. But here's what we will do. Together, as a community who love each other and don't shame each other, we can come together and explore together the claims of Jesus Christ. We can come together and hear the call of Jesus to come and follow him and to submit every part of our lives to him. Not only our sexuality, but our finances and our time and our attitudes and every area of our life needs to be submitted to the lordship of Jesus. And so students, don't you dare ever be a student or even an adult who looks down on people that struggle with those things and don't fail to, don't, don't ever fail to reflect God's love for them. Because the reality is, every human being is made in the image of God, friends. And so we want to be a community. You want to be students that show people like that God loves you. And, you can, and then we could also do the most loving thing. One of the most loving things we can do for our friends that are there in life, which is a reality, one of the most loving things we can do is together, arm in arm, show them the design. Because friends, the designer knows best, Right? One of the most loving things we can do is show them God's perfect design and the invention. Like we saw today, show them the first wedding. Show them how beautiful it is and show them that God did it not as a strict dictator, but he did it as a loving father who was trying to fix the not good in the world. We see God's design. Number one, it's between a man and a woman. Number two, marriage is forever Look what the text says. Do you see what he says there? For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast. Every guy in here say, hold fast. Every lady in here say, hold fast. That word hold fast, literally cling, stick, to be glued together. When God takes a man, right? Hello, man, you doing good? When God takes a man and God takes a woman, right? He takes them out of their family units and he glues them together and they are now a new family unit. Do you understand that? Students, when you get married one day, I want you to tuck this in your carry-on bag, all right? You need this. When you get married one day, you have a new allegiance to a new family unit. When I got married, I left my mother and my father's authority. I left my allegiance to them as my first allegiance. And now my home, the Cassis residence with Sam and Jordan and Micah, that is, that is my first allegiance. That is my first priority and responsibility. I am clinging to my wife. And we see Jesus say in the book of Mark, chapter 10, he goes, what God has brought together, like we saw today, what God has brought together, let no man separate. According to the design, marriage is forever. They would become one in purpose, in unity, and as a new family unit. And they would come together in an act of oneness. 
and they would produce a symbol of oneness called a baby. Next time you're in biology class and you're learning about DNA and HTCG and RNA and you know, all those kind of things, I want you to remember that God invented DNA and he did it as a visual aid of what oneness is. You guys know how babies made? Sorry, sorry, stop. I mean, do you know how, <laughs> not today, all right? That's not today's message. What I'm saying is, do you understand like DNA wise what is happening to make an embryo? 50% of the man breaks off. 50% of the woman's DNA breaks off. They come together. Micah has the DNA of a unique human being, but it's 50% me and 50% my wife. He's now one. He's a symbol of our oneness. So if me and my wife ever want to be able to separate, we can do it as long as we can separate the DNA in my son's cells. That's how one we are. We are one flesh. Micah is a symbol of the new oneness of my family. Friends, when you get married, it's forever. It's forever. Friends, don't, oh, I can just get emotional over this. Let us not cheapen marriage, okay? And I know every single, I know the stats. Every single person in here has been affected by divorce, right? Raise your hand if you know someone or someone in your family divorced, right? I mean, every single one of us. And if you don't, you live in a cave, right? We've all been affected by divorce. And I'm not here to point fingers. I have divorce in my family. I'm not here to point fingers. I'm not here to make people feel less than they should be. What I'm telling you, students, is that as you're packing your carry-on bags, as you're contemplating what does it mean to be married one day, you need to understand just because it's a prevalent in our culture, just because everybody does it, just because that's the narrative in our culture, that does not mean it's part of the design. And if you're going into marriage asking the questions, what am I allowed to get out for again? You're asking the wrong questions. If you're going into marriage saying, just show me where the exit doors are just in case, you're asking the wrong questions. Marriage is forever. And culture cannot redefine that part. They cannot redesign that part. Between man and a woman, forever. And look at the third part of the design. Marriage is the context for pure sexual expression. Marriage is a context, meaning it's, a, it's the appropriate place for sexual expression. Students, hear me, because this is big. You need this in your bags, all right? Open up the bag wide. I'm about to pour it in. The Bible is not anti-sex. The Bible is not anti-sex. We see from the very first wedding that God created it as a part of his design. And he said, it's good, right? Everything was good. It's a part of his design, it's the design for male and female. And his design, as he designed sex, he also designed the appropriate context for its expression between a man and his wife. And so here we have, right, two human beings in the first wedding, two human beings naked and yet unashamed in their sexuality because they are walking in purity according to the design. They can be aware of God's presence and not be ashamed of their sexuality. They don't have to be anti-sexuality because they know that as long as they're walking according to God's design, it is pure and it is good and there's nothing to be ashamed of. This is the design between man and a woman forever and it's the, it's the context for pure sexual expression. Does that make sense? Does this make sense, friends? Do you already, can, can you see, even as we learn the design, and we go, oh yeah, that's in the design. Can you see how subtle it is that culture wants to redesign it? All right, friends, as Christians that are learning to live for Jesus, 
He's already given you the design, and it's the best because the designer knows best. The designer knows best. You look at the first wedding, and you see God up here, and he literally just invented marriage. He just invented marriage. Man, I've conducted marriages, but I've never said, all right, I've gathered you all here today because I had this pretty neat idea. (laughs) This man and this woman forever, right? No, I only conduct something that God made. He literally invented it. So my question to you today is, do we think as human beings that we honestly have the right to redefine his design? Do we think that we honestly have the right to tinker with the design that says, man and woman, uh, that's debatable. Do we have the right to redesign the part that says forever? You know, honestly, when you're in your 20s, you're one person, but then you're going to need a new spouse for your 30s because you're different, and then you're going to need a new spouse for your 40s. I read that garbage on the Huffington Post and in blogs, and I want to vomit at the disgustingness because what the culture is trying to tell you is that, hey, young 22-year-old man, I know you're getting married now, but your 32-year-old version is going to be different. So you're going to need somebody that loves you then. It's not fair for you to keep your wife around because she's not marrying 32-year-old Josh. She's marrying 22-year-old Josh. So be fair. Let her go. Do we have the right to redefine the design? Do we have the right to tinker with the part of marriage that says that its appropriate context for expression is in marriage? Our sexuality? Do we have the right to tinker with that and go, actually, you know, I just think you need to explore and just, you got to be ready for that time. You know what I mean? You got to practice, right? I remember I had a kid in high school tell me, like I was telling him, I was like, no, dude, like I'm, I'm saving myself for marriage and like, that's, I'm, I'm, I follow God, man. He invented it. I'm just following him. He knows best. And I remember him like going like, dude, but like, but how do you know if you know that it's good? And I'm like, well, I'll have nothing to compare it to, will I? Right? And he's like, his mind's blown. He's talking all slow. I'm like, dude, this is God's design. He knows best. You think God is sitting up there going, man, I never thought of that. I should have invented practice. Man, next lifetime, right? He's the designer. Friends, do we think we have the right? Better yet, do we really want to? Not only do we not have the right, think about it. Do any of us really want to take that on ourselves and go, I think I have a better idea, God. I think I want to tinker with your design a little bit. Like, how many, how many of you would be the guy? Like, like, imagine the guy who invented the chainsaw, right? And he comes in, he's like, dude, oh, dude, I just created this awesome invention. It's going to help us build houses faster. We can cut down trees faster. I mean, and it's awesome. Look at this chainsaw, right? This is great. I designed it. Let me show you how it works. You hold the handle here. You pull the ripcord, and you cut. And always wear goggles. How many of you want to be the guy who walks over to the chainsaw guy, hey, uh, Mr. Inventor, (laughs) pretty neat design, but uh, actually, let me tinker around with it. Let me tell you a better way, right? You should probably actually hold it from this side because it's longer and it has grips with little teeth. So you should probably hold those things because you can grip it better and then pull the cord. (laughs) How many of you want to be the guy who tells the designer how to work his design? How many of you want to be the guy who tells the designer a better way to run his invention? Yeah, just hold it right here by the teeth and then pull it. (laughs) Really? How many of us want to be the ones that tell God, hey, I have a better way. One man, one woman. Ah, I think it should be like three men, three women. Ah, I think it should be like only for 10 years. Ah, I think you should. Do we really want to do that, friends? The designer knows best. The designer knows best. 
And so students, as we're learning to live for Jesus, this is a call today, right? This is a call, follow the designer. Follow the designer. Friends, I know that there's some of you in this room that haven't followed the designer, okay? Not all of us, I I mean, all of us in some way we fail, right? And some of us, the way that we fail is in following God's design for sexuality and marriage. And in a few weeks, we're gonna have a whole message on redeeming sexuality. We're gonna have a whole message on how God restores us and makes us pure and perfect and he can present us one day to our spouses, redeemed and restored, and we're gonna get there. But before we get there, the call today is to follow the designer, trust him, when things get hard, when culture says otherwise, when you feel temptation, when you feel pressure, make it an act of faith that says, Lord, I trust you. You're the designer. I'm going to follow you. And then, friends, here's the cool part. When we follow the design, actually, let me just read it to you. Let me read it to you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. This is why it's important that we don't change the design, all right? Students, listen. This is why it's important. Hey, man, hey. Listen, this is why it's important that we don't change the design, okay? This is why it's important. Because it's meant to be a visual aid to the world of God's covenant relationship with his people. Check it out. Verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Where's Paul quoting that from? He's quoting it from the first wedding, right? So he quotes it, and he goes, this mystery, he calls marriage a mystery, right? All of you one day will get that. It is a mystery. Um, <laughs> that's probably not what Paul had in mind, huh? But it is a mystery. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying this, that it refers to Christ and his church. It refers to Christ and his church. Friends, if you follow the design of marriage, if you conduct your life in a way that is according to the design, do you know that your marriage will be a visual aid to the entire world around you? And they can go, that's what God's relationship is like with his people. As they see men being godly leaders in their home, they can go, that's how much God loves his people. As they see women gladly submit to their leaders and their husbands, they can go, that's the way that God's people honor him with their lives. Wow. Our design, as we follow the design, our marriages can glorify God. How many of you guys want that? Do you guys want marriages? Honestly, do you guys want marriages that can glorify the designer? Do you want marriages that can show the whole world how good of a God he is and how beautiful the design is? Do you want that? Then trust the designer, friends because the designer knows best. 